Hi, Marion. How are you? Hey, fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Well, we spoke before the recording uh, started that you're really excited. What What are you excited about? Well, I just read that uh, Brian Eno has put out a new album, and uh, he actually is singing on that album, which he hasn't done for several years. And I'm really, I mean, right after this interview, I go into the net and and buy this album. I have to listen to it because I'm just a fanatic about him and his music. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to, to hear it. What what when did your well uh, when did your interest in Brian Eno start? Well, first. I mean, I, I remember a moment uh, that was, I think, in 1972, 1972 or 1973, uh, in the last millennium, and I bought two albums uh, from bands that I had never heard at, at the time. One was uh, an album by a band called Genesis, and the, the album was Nursery Crime, and the other one was uh, Roxy Music. But I never heard about this up to that day. Uh, and when I was listening back to uh, at home, I was I was absolutely stunned. Uh, and they, I mean, they were completely different music, Genesis and Roxy Music, but both were they were kind of direction that I never heard before. And um, and the, in in the Roxy Music unit, there was one person that, from the looks and from everything, was I found absolutely. Uh, interesting because at that time I just started to become a big David Bowie fan and there was this uh, this being called Brian Eno you know with long hair and and this makeup and all these things and he, he created really strange sounds I, I mean Roxy Music at that time they, they did really quite rough rock and roll music very much inspired from the, from the 50s from the late 50s you know, in a, in a new context, in a, in a kind of lacquered con context. And in addition to that, Brian Eno bought this really outstanding otherworldly sounds. And this combi combination was just really, a, a, um, at that time, a, a very fascinating experience for me and a very um, inspiring thing also. And from that moment on, I was following uh, what Brian Eno, whatever he did, you know, and he he changed his 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 styles and his interests in many ways, you know, like like Bowie actually, and um, so every new album that he did was an, a complete new experience and a new idea, and it, it was always very very inspiring for me. So Brian Eno and Bowie were really gr a great great inspiration, probably not influence. I mean. I cannot trace it in our own music, you know, where this influence really made something with our music. But um, yeah, I was just following wherever they would go musically. And then in the late 70s, you know, they even worked together, Bowie and Eno, you know, that was just a fulfillment of, of a dream. And and the results were also absolutely um, uh, breathtaking. And then they even did it in the same town where I lived at the time in Berlin. <laughs> so, yeah, there was lots of lots of really exciting moments. And then, then well, can you say what what you said that that, that Brian you know, and David Bowie? Well, you you can't really trace it back in your own music, but I think well, you can you can hear that you're influenced by them, or that they that they uh, that they are in 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 inspiration. Um, what were you doing when you listened to those albums? Early early seventies, you were eighteen years or something. What were you doing with music back then? 
I, I didn't do any any kind of music. I was just a devoted fan of other other people's music and just just a, a regular person in that in that uh, respect. Uh, actually, I was um, I had a very hard life at that time, you know, in West Berlin, and um, um, I, I actually I was for from time to time I was really especially in summer I was practically uh, homeless uh, and uh, just had daily jobs and stuff like that. So um, yeah, and then I I met this guy uh, Bernard and. Uh, and and he thought it would be an interesting idea to make music. I said, how, how can we do music? You know, I, I my intention was to become a painter actually, and um, I um, and then uh, Bern says, yeah, you know, we have this. Uh, they have this new equipment. This new uh, you don't have to learn an instrument or so. You you can do that with drum machines and with sequences and stuff. So um, so we started working with these toys. I mean, they were like just little toys, and uh, and from from very mom, first moment on, we create our own music. We comp- compose on. We never uh, did cover versions of other uh, people's music. But uh, the the fascinating thing for us was that we, with this equipment, we were able to uh, construct. I mean, in the beginning, it was like a construction thing, <laughs> construct our own music. And and which later on then we composed music, but in the, in, in the beginning we const- we were constructed, <laughs> and uh, and that was the beginning of Alphaville, you know, the seventy nine eighty something like that. I mean the the big the really uh, also a very important moment was the um, the single from the first single from Orchestra Manubas in the Dark, Electricity, because that music sounded exactly what we were doing at the time, and and that was the first moment where we thought, okay, we're not the only ones out there, you know, there are some other guys, you know, which also coming from, maybe from a complete different angle, you know, coming into the music, just like us, as amateurs, as lovers of music, as fans for other, for great artists, and um, and uh, that was a really a, a strong, made really a strong impact on us, you know. But I think you all, you wrote Big in Japan in 1979, um, what what was the, I think the band was officially formed in 1982. Um, when you wrote Big in Japan uh, in 1979, did you think, well, we are onto something? This might actually work. Uh, it already worked because what we were interested in was writing music. It was not like that we we, we would have never we would have never thought that we would could make a living out of this or. Uh, or that we would ever have success, or you know, all these amazing things that happened from from 1984 on, you know, which was just outstanding and otherworldly. Uh, it was just the fact that we could write our own music, and that we and we played it to other people, and to our great astonishment, other people liked the, the, our music too. And then suddenly there were even other bands. Which had the same background as us, like orchestra maneuvers or uh, 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 tubeway army, or you know, or, or all these these bands, and um, yeah, and we suddenly we were not just nerdy people, you know, which were doing secretly music in our bedrooms, but there were other nerds outside, you know, and we suddenly we were part of a movement, you know, of a nerdy movement. <laughs> 
of people who constructed music with machines, you know, which was at that time a complete new thing. And uh, yeah, and I mean, that was the start. But the, the interesting is also because you, well, you said you were you 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 had ambitions to become a painter, uh, but actually your 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 voice, I think, it still sounds great uh, to this day. Um, when did you actually were when when were you aware that you actually had a good singing voice? Well, singing was just the thing that. Uh, The, what uh, that it was the greatest joy for me, you know, to sing always when when I was a child. Um, when I was a child, I was I was listening to lots of classical music because at that time in the late fifties, uh, that was the only music I was playing on the radio in Germany, basically apart from some Schlager stuff. But even that was quite rarely. And so basically, it was orchestral classical music. From the 19th, 18th century, and um, uh, Chopin, Mozart, uh, Beethoven, Bach, and all these things. I was seven, eight years old, or even younger, and I was singing along this with. In the, when I listening to the music in the radio, I was singing along with with the tune, with the, with the melodies and stuff. Uh, and it was just I really loved that music, and. Uh, um, it was really it had a, a great impact. It had such a great emotional impact on me, you know, that sometimes I was sitting in front of the radio and was crying because it, the music was so beautiful. And my mother uh, caught me, you know, in, in one of those moments, and she said, "What what happens? You know, why, why are you crying?" And I said, "I listen to the music, and it's it's I, I can't explain it. You know, I listen and it makes me crying." And said, "You're not going to listen to this music anymore," you know. And so so in other households. Uh, you know the the the, um, the 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 children had were not allowed to listen to rock and roll music. In my household, it was like I was not allowed to listen to classical music. But what? But what did what did you want to think that you were actually getting? Uh, well, 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 maybe maybe were, were saddened by the music, or there is a, there is a strong connection between uh, sadness and beauty, hmm. because. Beauty probably reminds you about that all things fade away because beauty is just a moment. It just it's probably the most fleeting moment that that exists, and uh, that probably that is the reason. You know, so I mean, when I was a little boy, I I was just taken by 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 the beauty of of these melodies, and it made me yeah, it made me sad because it. Even as a six, seven-year-old boy, I understood that it, it was just a fleeting moment, that it, it's a very fragile, vulnerable thing. And, um, uh, uh, and probably that, that was the reason. So, I mean, I was then listening to the music late at night when my, my parents were sleeping. Uh, I, I, I crawled back into the living room to the big radio with, with the tubes and the, the magic eye. And uh, I, 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 I uh, started started the radio on a very low level and listened, you know, close to the loudspeaker, uh, to to the music. But not only the music, but also to the sound. When you're going from one station to the other, so you have these strange sounds. I was really fascinated. This radio was really my device you know that transport me into an uh, the universe in in a way you know 
like Major Tom. Yeah, Major Tom. Yeah, yeah. You you were saying, well, um, beauty will remind you of that everything. Well, is 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 uh, that it's just a small moment of beauty. This is something that that you 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 strive for uh, in your musical career up until now, creating well, some creating really some. Yeah, probably it does, but it's it's not uh, it's not something that I do uh, willingly. You know, it's just uh, it's just a motive behind in in the background, maybe. Um, but it's just a fact. I mean, it is like that. Beauty is a very uh, fleeting and vulnerable thing, and it 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 only exists for in very short moments. And in very short moments, it gives you this happiness and this joy. And then it's it's again it's gone, you know. It's it's like a very beautiful person that uh, comes and goes whenever it likes, and you have no, and and the only uh, the only um, chance, the only chance to, to to experience that is probably through art, you know. Art is the only way to, uh, and art is not only in in those things that we consider as regular art you know but there's also art in mathematics in proportions in in tech technologies you know art uh, beauty is everywhere it's is you know it is uh, uh, the, the whole universe is a construct of many many beautiful moments you know but is it for you space, yeah. an ever changing space of beautiful moments but was it When I read, well, you you've you've released uh, this album now, um, uh, and what's it for you? Um, you said as if were actually the first Alphaville album. Is it something that you had in your mind really long to actually to uh, create this create this sonic adventure? Uh, well, I mean, the the idea to do an orchestral album is is not very new, and it's not very original. You know, it it but. In Alphaville's case, it was a, a, an idea that was quite very natural because uh, um, we we are our music is very melodic and it's very, um, in a way, a synthesizer is an orchestral thing in itself. And when when you when you work or when you uh, uh, write music. With a synthesizer, with a polyphonic synthesizer like a Jupiter 8 or something, um, it is. Uh, you, there are two ways of composing a song. One way is, you know, you go into the sound direction and try to really to create new sounds and go into this avant-garde, avant-garde kind of thing uh, of uh, soundscapes, you know, which I wasn't very interested in in the beginning. I was more interested in writing music as such. And suddenly I had this, this gigantic canvas, you know, of, of possibilities where, where I had like brass-like sounds, uh, violins-like sounds and drums and whatever I, 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 I wanted, you know. So, and I had it all, you know, in one in, in this one instrument so the synthesizer for me was just an orchestral thing and the 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 uh, the character of the music it influenced the character of the music very much so i think when you're listening to songs like lassie come home for instance you know which is a song from from our second album in 90 from 1986 um 
it's a song that almost craves for you know to be released again you know in in, in an orchestral uh, environment and many many other songs from their inner nature from the inner core uh, are exactly like that so yeah we had this idea that sooner or later we would we would uh, um, arrange the songs in in a way that that would realize their real their real character you know but it was not uh, i mean there was there were always so many other things which we found more important to do and uh, and then the pandemic came and suddenly we had lots of time and there was an orchestra around the babelsberger film orchestra which is an orchestra you can only dream on to work with and they also had time and it was just a, a golden opportunity so we said okay now we're doing it and then we selected 23 songs from the alphabet repertoire and uh, yeah and wrote arrangements together with uh, two really experienced guys uh, max knot and christian lohr and um, yeah and and it was just i mean the idea behind it was not that we would just play our songs accompanied by an orchestra that would just follow us Uh, which is probably the usual way, but which was absolutely uninteresting for us. What we wanted was using the orchestra as a kind of filter, as a kind of synthesizing machine, put our songs into this machine and, and surprise ourselves with the outcome. You know, like, We wanted change. We wanted that there would be like changes in the music. That we that is not just a, a, a an, another version of of uh, forever. Of, no, forever is the wrong example. But another version of let's say dance with me and and with an orchestra. We wanted surprise ourselves. So we wanted to know what would happen if we use an orchestra. We have our material, our song. And what would the orchestra and what would the arrangement do with the song? And the the most successful production on this album are the songs that have been completely changed by the orchestra and by the arrangement. That was actually what we wanted, what we were uh, trying to do. Well, if you if you pick one of those songs, what what was what what song was the biggest surprise for you uh, with with the orchestra? Um, I mean the. The, the the most minimal surprise was actually Forever Young because Forever Young was when we wrote Forever Young we had this orchestral thing in our minds you know and I mean for, uh, Forever Young is not an, in its original version it's it's really not a typical 80s song you know it's it's not really in in the context of the 80s you know what what how 80s songs sound like it is It is a quite unique thing, you know, because it is nothing else than an imitation of an orchestra. You know, you have these trumpet solos, you have uh, these big sounds in the choruses and everything. You have these these voice sounds in the beginning. So it's it's just it's almost like a soundtrack for for a, for an imaginary movie or something. And from from the so when when we when we did Forever Young with the orchestra, we just did we just did a redo of the original version because that is what the song in the beginning was meant for and that was what was what i meant when i said uh this is probably the album that we should have done as our first album 
it 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 basically concerns the song Forever Young, because when we did that song in 1982, when we wrote it, um, we just thought, yeah, we sh we could that should be done with an orchestra, but we had not the possibilities to do that. You know, so we we did it with the Jupiter Eight, <laughs> that was our orchestra, and now we had the chance to do it with a 60, 80 piece orchestra now, and we just played it like the original version. But many other songs like uh, Dance With Me, for instance, you know, have been changed completely by the orchestra from an up-tempo to a ballad-like thing, you know, which, which lots of different musical instrumental parts and everything. And that happened to many, many of the songs. You know, Let's Come Home is another example, for instance, for, you know, that very, very uh, similar to Forever Young. So we we did not have to do many changes of this song because this song from the very beginning, its original version was already an orchestral version, you know. So this there there was another song in question for this album, which is Pandora Salabai from from our fifth album, I think, uh, which we did not put on on this production because on on. Uh, in its original way, it was already played with an orchestra, so it was it did not interest us yeah. very much, and would put it uh, put it on this album. Uh, we were more interested in having songs that maybe are really uh, sound wise and compositionally uh, more distant, you know, from the idea of an orchestra, yeah, yeah. and put it into into that field. Okay. Um and well, referring to the little boy who was uh, listening to classical songs on the radio and um, now doing this project, uh, are there some similarities? Are you going back to, well, uh, the, the symphonic, the classical uh, uh, arrangements now of your own music? I mean, we, we, we already did. I mean, there was this closeness all the time. As I said, you know, we were we were using our equipment not in this avant-gardistic soundscape kind of thing. I mean, in the beginning we did not do it like that. Uh, now we, I mean, we're also interested in you know in creating interesting sounds. But in the beginning, it was basically a tool for composition and to have different voices, you know, to have guitar-like voices, and 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 so it was basically an imitation game. Yeah, and, yeah, but uh, I mean, but 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 I mean now for you because while well, you're working with the uh, orchestra, and does it have some s similarities to the sounds that you heard when you were a little boy listening to classical radio, or is it something completely different? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I I, I really um, I can't remember what uh, uh, what. Uh, when when I was listening to to classical music as a little boy, you know, I wasn't thinking about creating music myself. That was uh, just a thought, unthinkable for me. No, but I mean the feeling that you that you got. Did, I mean the feeling that you well, did you get the same feelings while hearing those songs with an orchestra? Um. Uh, no, not 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 in the beginning. I mean, when we when we were starting making music, uh, it was just the fact that we were able to to compose and to write music was the most important thing. And we 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 didn't realize, or I did not realize, the the influences that made me doing 
uh, these things. You know, it was it was a very subconscious thing in the beginning when we when we wrote our music. Um, but um, now, um, I mean, Alpha Will music is basically consists basically out of songs, not of symphonic pieces. I mean, a symphonic uh, musical piece is a very very complex. Uh, musical event and but we starting from songs not from symphonic big symphonic pieces you know so doing so would be a different task i mean we just we just set our songs in 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 a in a context say like 19th century music you know like romantic uh 19th century music um and uh but I wouldn't say that it's. I mean, it's it's orchestral music. It's probably it's it's not symphonic music. You know, symphonic music is a much more complex thing. Yeah. Um, what did you learn from from working with uh, with the orchestra? What did you learn songwriting wise? And and what are surprises that you? Got? Uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> Excuse me. I learned I learned really a lot because. I learned a lot about discipline, about um, management, about logistics, about um, patience, you know, about communication, because it's it's really a big thing, organizing organizational, you know, when you work with a big orchestra, when some, you know when you normally do a, a an alphabet production, you have like three or four other members around sitting in a studio where you have where you are in complete control uh, in such a production you just you you are just one little element in 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 in, in a much bigger context and uh, and it, it, you, the role that you play because i mean that we have just one original written song for this album all the other songs come from different albums they are alpha repertoire so we did not have to compose music for this project uh, so our role was completely different from from regular productions not only from the compositional point of view but also uh, we did not play very many instruments i mean most of the instruments have been played by the orchestra so we were basically producers as to say, and uh, um, it, it, it was a complete different role that we had in this in this production, and and we had to accept that we were depending on on many many other people, and on on the talents of very many other other people. You know that that was a complete different experience for us. You know, normally everything depended on us. You know, and and we were responsible. For, for the for the output, I mean, we we still responsible for the output, but there were so many other people involved. You know that that was just a big difference from a regular Alphabet production. But I can imagine when you well, when you heard the song maybe for the first time or maybe the orchestra, did it make you well maybe somewhat melancholy or maybe even emotional when you heard the song with a big orchestra, your whole repertoire, was it something of some, I don't know, some some sort of looking back for you too? Yeah, that was, that was actually a, a very uh, moving moment for us because during, during the production, during the actual production, everything was in our heads and in notations. So the whole idea of the music was completely abstract because 
we could not, also because of the pandemic circumstance, we could not record the orchestra as a whole thing, but we had to record it in parts. So we never, ever heard the complete production until we had recorded everything and we had all the 300, 400, sometimes five, 500 tracks, you know, on our desk. And then for the first time, we, we heard the results that were over most time of the production just in our heads and in our imagination. And that was just an amazing moment because all these productions turned out to be successful with one exception. And we were just simply blown away by, by it when we heard it for the first time. What, uh, was, the first song you, what was the first song you heard? Uh, I think that was, uh, um, that was Dance With Me. No, it was Moon Girl. Moon Girl was the first complete uh, thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and it starts with this little mechanical clock and and then becomes, it was just, yeah, I mean, it was just really, it was better than you ever expected it. It, it could sound like, you know, because it was all in our head. It was just our imagination. And suddenly it, it became reality. It was just like you have a dream and then you wake up and the dream becomes reality. <laughs> and, and that is just an amazing moment. So it was when, if we refer to the word beauty, is it something that you experienced then? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. But, but it's... It, The, the difference was that it's a repeatable thing. You know, I mean, you can you have the music now recorded, and then you can you can just press replay, and then you can hear it again. And and now, what what is uh, really important is if the production is really good, then whenever you repeat listening back to the song and repetition, you know, you, you hear. Do you hear something, or, or do you hear the same all the time, or you hear something different all the time? And if you hear the same all the time, then the production is bullshit. When when you hear different, when you have different experiences every time you repeat it, or uh, then you have a successful production. Maybe. And uh, yeah, well, that is just a, a matter of experience, you know. That is, that is a different thing. But, I mean, talking about the first time when we heard the song for the first time in its completeness, that, that was a moment that uh, that is unrepeat, unrepeatable. That, that is actually the moment that comes and then you lose it again. <laughs> so that was the moment of beauty then. Yeah. yeah. Um, last question. Um, how is this experience um, uh, influencing uh, your new album, Thunder Baby? Is it? Is it influencing Thunder Baby? I I, I was hoping not, uh, because I, I follow a complete different uh, plan on this production. But I, I have to admit that yeah, it it will it will have an impact on influence on on the upcoming album, um, and it will change a couple of of the songs that we already have uh, composed and recorded. Um, and yes, we will probably involve orchestral bits also in this in this next production but not as the main thing but more like in addition to to many many other things because i mean we have so many new uh, ideas that 
by working with the orchestra and you know, things, possibilities that we were never aware of before. And it would be just stupid not to use them in, in upcoming productions. So yeah, it will have an impact and influence on our upcoming album. Yeah. Uh, last question. Have you ever met Brian Eno? No, I never met him. I never met David Bowie. Uh, I've been, I attended a couple of his concerts, actually. Um, um, but I, what I have is, wait, I can show you that. Let's see on my, on my desktop. I have this. It's oh, a, yeah. you know what it is. Yeah, it's a Peter. Yeah. It's, um, It's called Oblique Strategies, mm -hmm. and it's a game of cards uh, that is uh, invented by Brian Eno. And whenever you get stuck in a production, yeah. you can draw one of this deck of cards, but then you have to do in the production what this card is telling you. Okay. Let's let's pretend we we just we're working on an album and you and me and we just uh, get stuck and don't know what to do. So I have this card here. I don't know what it is. So I turn it around, and it's red. Is it finished? <laughs> For instance, and I say, hey, yeah, that is an interesting thing, because we have here a problem and we cannot carry on. Because maybe because it's finished, you know, it, it may well be. There's actually another trick that I sometimes do, and it, it may sound very childish and very teenager-like uh, for a 68-year-old man. Uh, but sometimes when I'm getting stuck and I don't know what to do, I'm just asking myself, what would David Bowie do? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I, I, I actually, I don't know what he would do, but it gives me, when I think about that, it gives me a different perspective on the problem. And that sometimes it's really a help to, to think like that. But is there one, one thing, one, one problem that you encountered while, uh, well, with this project? And uh, you, well, you pop this question, what would David Bowie do? No, actually not. Not in this production, no, it ne never came up because it was just, it, I think the music, the other, our music was just waiting, you know, for this chance to be, to be produced in this way. No, but I mean, is there one other thing, well, which, well, one other musical problem that you encountered the last 10 or 20 years where you actually popped the question, what would David Bowie do? Oh yeah, what, I did what, it a couple yeah, of times. But what, 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 what was your answer back then? How, how, how did it help you? It's, it's very hard to say. I mean, it's just, sometimes you, you just, When you when you uh, when you work in when you're getting stuck in a production that already lasts one month or two months, you know you the distance to the things that you're doing is just like that, and it's it's you're so close to it that it it's almost blinding. And when you, when you post this when you post this question, you know what would some other person that you that you have an imagination of. It doesn't matter if it's a true, it's the right imagination or not. I don't know David Bowie, but you know, I have an imagination about him. So when I'm, you know, I'm so close to it, and I think, you know, what would he do? Then suddenly, 
you know, I'm I have an I have a different perspective on it. And that that is really what it. Sometimes it's just like you you you're working on a on on a on a on something like like a, a hi hat groove or whatever, but it it fucks up the whole fucking song, you know. And you think, uh, what can I do, you know? What, 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 and you you try to figure it out, you know. You you tell the drummer, you know, try this, try that, and, and it always fucks up the song. And then you say. Okay, then we just forget about the fucking hi hat, you know. Then we take it out. Then the song now it doesn't work without the hi hat. We need a hi hat for fuck's sake, you know. What are we gonna do, you know? And then you say, okay, what would David Bowie do? Suddenly, you know, the hi hat, the problem, everything alters. It's it's a different thing, you know. Or maybe you just draw a card, you know, and ask Brian Eno. <laughs> so I've I've really two big and fantastic advisors at my. <laughs> What can happen to me? <laughs> Nothing, no. Um, well, thank you for your time, um, right. Marion. There was one thing that I would like to share with uh, you. It was uh, not really a, a close friend, but someone that I that I uh, used to know and hang, hang out with uh, uh, during my uh, studies in, in Groningen. And he passed away with a, a brain tumor. And there was one song... One song that he uh, would have uh, that that was played on a funeral, and it was your song "Forever Young," and it really broke me back then. So whenever when I hear this that song, and that's why I was really wanted to want to to talk to you. Whenever when I hear that song, it reminds me of of him and of uh, what it, how emotional it was. So that's what I what I would like to share with you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. And I think that's, well, I think that's something that specifically this song or maybe other song, maybe I think you hear, uh, well, more of these stories, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and it's, uh, I mean, the song is, uh, he, he has, when we wrote the song, we did not, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we, we were just uh, inspired by something and uh, I mean, if we had known what we were doing at the moment when we wrote the song, then we probably had fucked it up. You know, so we we did not know what we were doing, and that was the best thing we could do. And this song is, I don't know, you know, the song has an elementary answer to many many different situations in life. You know, seems to be like that. It, it is, uh, you know, the, the people played on weddings, on birthdays, on funerals, you know, on on very contradictory situations. And uh, and each time the song seems to have a notion or an, an answer or an, a message, you know, to, to this different situations, you know, and it's, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, it, it's very moving when I hear those stories. It's, it's really very moving and I, I'm very grateful uh, for, for the, for the, that something that gave us the idea to write this song, you know, but it's 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 probably not only my my, my responsibility; it's somebody else's responsibility. But is it something that that is it? Does this song um, does it do the same for you too, or is it just too close for you? Or um, it's it's a it's it's our baby. I mean, the song is our baby. It's just. Uh, it's it's but it's 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 in a way it's it's a kind of wonder boy. 
That's good. Uh, nice ending. Um, thank you for your time again. All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for your time, Ben. Yeah.